the idea that somehow white people are, are losing out on something just makes no sense to me. It's the same thing going on with critical race theory. This is just the way in. It's, the, it's some camouflage to go after yeah. diversity, equity, inclusion writ large or basically anti-racism. And so it's basically saying, okay, you think you're going to do anti-racism? That will show you. Welcome to season two of the 3 to 10 Project. Two white cisgender males who have been friends for over 25 years, exploring race, gender, and education by talking through the intersection of our identities with our experience, as well as what we are reading, listening to, and thinking about. And most importantly, considering how to show up moving forward. The 3 to 10 project reflects our long-term commitment, 3 to 10 years, of working together to build community and culture, inspired by author Resma Menicum. You can learn more about Resma and find a link to the podcast that inspired us on our website. I'm Mark. I'm Reed. This season, we're framing each episode around an essential question. Sometimes we may uncover answers usually we'll end up with even more questions. And as we move to hold ourselves accountable, we'll wrap up every discussion by setting specific intentions for action. How will we be moved to act and what will we do? This is season two, episode six, What's Up with Racial Affinity Groups, recorded February 20th, 2022. Let's get to it. Good afternoon, Mark. Good afternoon, Reed. Hi. What's your energy level? Let's start there. Yeah, I I did a long run this morning. I'm not going to be talking while running, but I'm a little tired. But uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm looking forward to talking. Okay. All right. I am bringing the energy today because we were supposed to do this at nine. And then we bumped it to 11. And then we bumped it to one. And then we bumped it to 115. So I am ready to have a conversation. So let's start with any reflections from last time. Sure. Um, And I think that thing I was supposed to think about last time had to do with power, kind of power in the workplace and paying attention to that more. You know, I continue to really think about how to show up in a way that allows for everyone to have power and to, but to not pretend like I don't have due to identity and positional place, like don't have some sort of different power dynamic going on for me. So it's kind of like this, not trying to pretend like everything power is totally shared perfectly but also recognizing places that, oh yeah, there is some sharing here and there is opportunity for, for me to release and for others um, 
to gain and that it's not necessarily always even like that. Like I have to release for others to gain, but it's a pretty dynamic, uh, fluid process. It seems pretty alive for me in my work. And I think, um, it will be for a while, but I feel like I'm making progress both on my awareness of what's happening, personal awareness of my, how I fit in the system and uh, like kind of this idea of seeing myself in the system as well as uh, seeing the system evolve in productive ways. Does seeing the system evolve in productive ways mean there's been anything beyond awareness? Has the system changed? Yeah, I think we're definitely seeing the system evolving and shifting. The more awareness I have, the more I'm able to uh, be part of a system that evolves, the more it evolves, the more I can see myself in it. In it. Um, they kind of work together. But yeah, I mean, without going into a lot of detail, I think there's just more, let's say, kind of genuine interaction, honesty, um, and opportunity for people to, to feel like power is being shared. Hmm. That feels good. Good. What about you? When we talked last time, I was thinking about how I could actually engage in some more meaningful conversations with other white men. And I'll give one example of something kind of cool that happened. I reconnected with a former colleague of mine who I haven't talked to mm-hmm. in probably two years. He works now mm-hmm. at a school. We connected and had a great uh, Zoom call, and, and we'll be doing that again. But right at the end, uh, in part because this was in my mind, I asked him what he was doing and thinking about with regards to race and identity specifically and and what he was thinking in terms of actual action in the world. And he said two things that were really important to me, and I can't wait to continue to uh, talk to him more. One was he had a pretty serious health scare since um, he switched jobs. And he said that despite all of the thinking and understanding he has had about um, inequities, right, in the world, he had not really realized how our health system is so set up to benefit certain people. And um, he said it really opened his eyes up that even though intellectually he knew that, once he got inside and could see how the system was working and how it was even benefiting people like himself, it was it was shocking for him. But the other interesting thing he said when I sort of was pushing on the action thing, he commented that, you know, it was important for him to see that and have that perspective. But he was now not going to do a college course for himself about educating everything about the health system um, on an intellectual level. What he was still focused on is where was his sphere of influence, which is education. And so he was like, look, we got to work on these things in some area that we have connection to. And so for him, that goes back mm-hmm. to being a part of schools and, and his, you know, he sort of said something like just do stuff and don't try to be perfect at it was sort of how he's approaching stuff, which we've talked about. And I could see through the work and the students he's working with that he is living some of that. We didn't get a chance to go into a lot more detail, but I'm excited to talk to him again. And that conversation was just important for me to, to talk to somebody that I think is certainly as engaged in thinking about this as I am and is learning 
through his own life experiences, some of which he didn't want to have, um, about what's going on, um, you know, in, in all aspects of life with regards to race. So what do you think that conversation wouldn't have really happened the way it did if you hadn't made the intention of engaging like that at the end of our last call? Yeah. It absolutely wouldn't have happened. I, I don't think. Yeah. yeah, it wouldn't have happened. So, so here's a, you know, now I'm going to tie it back to something. So we had an opportunity to talk to someone we both know um, in person. And we talked a little about that interaction, I think, in our last podcast. And then I've had some email um, communication with that person. And you know, what's coming up for me is just like kind of the intention around action. So trying to kind of find like you even you used a good uh, phrase earlier on what you said, like sphere of influence, I think. Um, yep. Like, so I think this might just be something we, you know, maybe I need to revisit with our friend um, and or something just to be alive for us, which is like, why do intentions matter? Like what type of intentions do we need to set and why are those important? And kind of revisiting that regularly, which we've started to do. And then the other is using the idea of sphere of influence to decide like what is a relevant, potentially relevant intention, like not some pie in the sky intention or an intention that just, you know, stays to us independently, but actually like might shift the, how we go into the world. Well, I think, so I'm going to take that into what I really want to talk to you about today. And because I think it's, 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 it's sort of, I'm going to, I'm going to get there a little bit in terms of intention and sphere of influence with this conversation, but I'm actually going to start a little more just sort of topical about the news. I had seen some news about a federal lawsuit that had just been, um, settled uh, Wellesley Public Schools in Massachusetts, not too far from where you are, um, about racial about a couple things, but racial affinity groups, which affinity groups are the idea of people in with similarities in some way, meaning to gather and discuss um, whatever issues and racial affinity groups specifically about gathering sort of by race to discuss issues of race and. That lawsuit that had been filed by a Washington, D.C. group, actually, Parents Defending Education, they always have these great names, um, and had gotten upset because Wellesley had done some racial affinity groups with their students following up, I think, on the murders that happened in Atlanta, uh, particularly involving a number of Asian women. What this group was trying to say was that schools can't do that. And I work with some schools that both with staff and to a lesser extent students have been using racial affinity groups as a tool. And we've used them within our organization. Uh, So all of a sudden to see um, not only this one lawsuit with schools being challenged, but also a follow-up email that was like, you know, this, this group kind of targeting like a dozen different uh, places that are using affinity groups. So first of all, I thought of you <laughs> as a school committee member, um, but I also think about my own work and suddenly like, oh my gosh, now 
racial affinity groups are a thing that we can't do or that are dangerous. So I first, I just wanted to pull up that because it seems to me like another example of public education under attack. Well, just real quick. I mean, we're uh, the district I'm in has begun racial affinity groups, um, specifically uh, students of color being able to meet with our director of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I've heard firsthand about how impactful and you know necessary those sessions are were to the point that like it became part of uh, one of the most important items identified by this diversity, equity, and inclusion committee I'm on to continue. And because I think there was like potentially they were going to be phased out, not because of any concern about lawsuit or anything, it's just kind of more logistical. But when I think it's been recognized how important they are in our community, why so they're going to continue. What, what was the, what was the, well, sense? I think I'll, I'll, speak, I'll speak to that for in a second, but also not only will those continue, but the, there's going to be a white ally affinity group getting started as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that hasn't, so, so that's interesting. And these are, so, so what I know, I don't want to speak, you know, totally out of turn, but what I think I, what I think I know around this is just the students have had no place to really be heard and to, to, to speak with each other and to speak with adults um, about what their actual experiences are. And like, they feel like, thank, you know, finally we're being heard and we have some space. And, and we when you to- say the students, are you talking about specifically students of color? Yeah. Yeah. So this is one of the things that to me is just makes me want to pull my hair out. So that lawsuit, you know, the claim was that white students were being segregated, which my understanding, actually, they weren't. The, 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 the groups were were open to anybody. But white students certainly can be part of uh, racial affinity groups. But that district, you know, the, the article was talking about, and that's a district that's 70 percent white. So the ability for white students to have an affinity group is in many cases just default. Like that's the people I'm around. And so if whatever I want to talk about, very often, I'm already in that setting. That is not at all true, I would imagine, in, a, in, 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 in many, 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 many school districts in, in Wellesley, 70% white, um, for, you know, black or brown students, for example. And so the idea that somehow white people are, are losing out on something just makes no sense to me. I'm not going to try to get into all the politics in this moment, but Uh. this doesn't seem to be a logical argument as much as, you know, it's a, it's the same thing going on with critical race theory. This is just the way in it's the, it's some camouflage to go after diversity, equity, inclusion writ large, or basically anti-racism. And so it's basically saying, okay, you think you're going to do anti-racism? That will show you. The lawsuit, you know, it sounds like no one really won or lost. That the the racial affinity groups technically need to be open to anybody. But, you know, you can still, it sounds like you can still set them up in a way that 
hey, this is an affinity group for students of color. Can white students come? Yeah, we're not going to let you, they're not going to stop you from coming, but this is what the purpose is. And what's interesting is both the super, you know, both sides came out saying we won. And right. um, so whatever. Yeah. I, I'll just say this, and it sounds like you would support this. It, in our personal experience, in what I am hearing from the community that I work in, this seems important. And I'm really interested to see how the white ally group goes and what comes out of that. And then we use racial affinity groups in my workspace, and that seems super important for, for everybody in different ways. And, so, and we're about to do it again um, in the next few weeks. So it just seems on a pragmatic level, a really effective and productive tool to do the work of identifying your own biases as well as having space to talk openly and honestly and, and, and learn and grow. And I think you mentioned this in passing the other day in a way, this is, you and I, what we're doing is a racial affinity group and it seems like an important thing to be doing. So now I wanna talk about this, let's call it a white racial affinity group or white ally, whatever. Um, so it seems to me that there are a number of reasons why affinity groups can be really important for lots of different people. And so I think in some cases for people of color in organizations or in spaces that are majority white, it really provides an opportunity to have some conversations that otherwise might be impossible. And so we don't need to get into necessarily why that all the, the ways that that might be benefiting them. But I want to I want to think about why this would benefit or what the purpose is for for white people. And I actually want to think about this because I'm I'm already can jump to like sort of what my next actions might be following this conversation. I'm in another white I'm in a white male affinity group um, that meets about monthly on Zoom has for probably almost most of the pandemic. And I'm trying, as I, as I, as I have those conversations, I'm like, what is the purpose of this? And you just said one reason, think about or unearth our own biases and learn together. I feel like that is happening with you and I, if we think about this, like for me, I feel like this is happening. I have this other group with, I mean, maybe eight people in it. I'm struggling with whether that's happening in that group. We, we get together for an hour. We have a nice conversation and I'm trying to rethink like, what's the purpose of that? And just putting eight white men in a zoom call doesn't necessarily yeah. get far. I'm trying to think, how do we get out? If it's about uncovering biases and learning, I'm not sure that happens just de facto by people getting in a room together. Well, we know it doesn't. So I need help with thinking about how to push forward because I'm questioning the value of that group right now, to be honest. Okay. No, and now I think I see where you're going. Like maybe you were going to do this anyway, looping back to what I was saying in the beginning about um, our friend who seems very focused on discussion and reading and learning, but from a kind of on an intellectual level, as opposed to the doing, um, like the stepping into discomfort 
the changing of behavior. And that I think that is part of what maybe that seems relevant to the question you just asked. Would you agree? And I got another part of this too. Yeah. But does that no, seem de- relevant? That, that definitely. And I got a second part. Okay. okay. So the second part, I think it, you sent me an, uh, passage to read by Ruth King. Now, Ruth King, that book, if I know, if I remember correctly, I have not read the whole book. That's a mindfulness based book, right? Ruth King is a big, you know, her work is all mindfulness based. Are you aware of that? Mark, I am tossing up grapefruits for you to hit out of the park here. Okay. okay. I just, I just but are you aware? Okay. So you knew that. You knew I, I, that. I knew, I knew that that book was that she seemed to be, I only knew her from the book and from the bio and the book, but it sounds like she's a meditation teacher and a mindfulness person. Yeah. Right. Um, she's, yeah. So she's deep in the mindfulness space, black woman who's working at the intersection of mindfulness and let's call it anti-racism or um, I don't, I honestly, that's the first time I've read her stuff just to be honest. Um, But I know of the book, I've talked to other people that have read her stuff and um, she's saying, Hey, you're going to do your racial affinity group. Start with 30 minutes of meditating together. I think it was like three hours together, um, including meditation starting and ending. The session right there was yeah yeah well starting with 30 minutes and then there would be 15 minutes later before you check out and talk about next actions yeah. so i was just curious you know what you thought about that i think honestly what went through my mind is like oh that's nice that's one way to do it um okay and probably not the way okay that's cool. i'm gonna do it. like just to be honest that your like, group is gonna do it yeah 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 <laughs> so i'm gonna get to the edge of this rabbit hole peek down it and I'm going to pull myself out, and then we can go in a different direction. I believe personally in the idea of mindfulness-based social justice. I believe that mindfulness can and often should be pointed at something. I think there are things like mindfulness-based stress reduction. This is a thing that's taught. There's a mindfulness-based sports performance. This is a thing that's, that's taught. Um, but I also, I've worked with a colleague in Virginia, just kind of beginning to outline this idea of like mindfulness-based social justice. What would that have as its components? And a big piece of mindfulness when you start to practice, I think, is awareness. And it's self-awareness that then leads to, you know, social awareness, systems awareness. And I truly believe that to do social justice, to do the work, you need those three types of awareness, self, social, and system. That's kind of what I was talking about before. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here, but I do think my mindfulness practice is supportive to my growing self-awareness around power and then my ability to sense the social and system that, it, you know, it, that, that is around that I'm part of. And um, I, I really think that, you know, one of the big ideas of the organization that I work at is, hey, if we 
if more and more people practice mindfulness, might it be transformative for them because of this awareness that it begins to bring? Because you, you know, if you truly start to believe in the interdependence of people, and of course, then we can talk about the interdependence of people and the world, like the earth, it's hard not to start to take a more activist and justice stance. So I don't know if you buy all that, but that's underlying a lot of my beliefs kind of personally and professionally. I've been trying to learn about mindfulness. I've taken, I've actually taken a number of online opportunities that were offered here in the community um, that's involved a little bit of meditation. And so I feel like I'm on a bit of a journey where conceptually, like intellectually, <laughs> I get what you're saying. Um, I don't think I've gotten to a point where all the different kind of practices we can try, whether it's just sort of body scan while I'm running or whether it's uh, a 10% um, happier 10-minute uh, um, guided meditation. I'm not at the point where I feel like those things are bleeding over in other places. Maybe I would not even know it if it were. So I, I will say, I am hearing what you're preaching and I am trying to learn and educate and I'm going to keep working on that. And I do believe there's lots of value for it. Um, I've been thinking about it from an angle of parenting as well with this um, community course I've been in um, mindfulness for parents, mindfulness based parenting. Yeah. Mindfulness. Go, right? So that's a journey. That's a solitary thing. So how does that play out now if we're now talking about meeting in community with others? Do they have to be on that same journey? So let's wrap up with this kind of the mindfulness piece with a couple comments. One, mindfulness meditation is a practice that takes practice. So taking the course is good, but it's all about the practice. And practicing on a regular basis is important. And while the run, you know, practicing certain things while you're running can be reinforcing, I do think there's no shortcut to transformation. My invitation to you is to maybe create some space for practice and see what that does. And the practice um, you're talking about is meditation practice. Meditation. I think more, yeah, like meditation and, you know, the apps are good and doing it while you're running is good, but I think it's, making a commitment to maybe a more consistent, formal practice of doing something very specific um, with your mind and body for a good amount of time, you know, at least 15 minutes on a regular basis, let's say most days of the week. It's about kind of building skill, just like running. You don't have this moment like, oh, finally, I'm a great runner. Like something just is like magical happens after the hundredth run or something. It's a gradual process. Yeah. At this point, the running is actually kind yeah. of going backwards. Like I just realized I'm really a bad runner now, but that's a side conversation. <laughs> Whatever you say. That, right. <laughs> the, the, the bottom line is, and, but that's probably true with anything you practice is like when you don't practice it as much, it's hard. You got to, you know, and, and so in any case, if we can, why don't we jump back into your group? Should we do that? Yeah, I've got a couple ideas about where we may be yeah, going. Yeah, what's your, yes, what I, are your ideas? Part of it is as simple as 
I think I should maybe go back into that group and challenge, not challenge, ask, what is our intention for coming together? Sure. There you go. Right. Yeah. Like, why, why are we doing this? And what are we doing within the conversation to lead to whatever we're hoping to get out of it? There, that sounds like a good step. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't know the answer to that yourself, most likely no one else does. And, and if they think they do, if it's 10 people or whatever, you probably got 10 different ideas about what the answer is. So that seems like a beautiful next step. And probably, yeah, I mean, maybe even letting people know before you come on to the next call, like, hey, I'd like to spend the beginning talking about that. That seems great. Yeah. I just want to offer one thing. When you do that, that's an opportunity for you to practice some self-awareness. Just kind of be in, like, be in your body and notice what you're experiencing when you have that conversation see what what comes up what you notice mm -hmm. that seems like such a simple proposal but i find that challenging um so i'll yeah. do my best <laughs> yeah i think it is challenging because that's not especially in western culture i think that is we're we're not we're disconnected our minds and bodies and we are not really present. Um, yeah, so, uh, right. a lot of the time. It, it, what you? It sounds like you might have another idea too. Any other? What? What are your thoughts? What, what else might I, I got? Only something comes up for me. I just that I'd be curious about is about discomfort because this goes back to what this. I think it ties to a lot of what we've been talking about. I wonder during those meetings how much discomfort there is. I, the way you explained it, I was imagining the group like enjoying coming together, but not really going to places of discomfort. And I think that without some discomfort, there's not going to be growth. What do you think about that? Well, the irony is we're talking about a room full of former educators who I think would say that about their own students without hesitation, right. but I think we right. forget, we forget right. that element of learning when we're together, especially, you know, you're on a zoom call at the end of a long day and it's almost becomes like a social meeting. Um, yeah. Right. And so, yeah, yeah. no, I, I think that's true. I think, I think there've been moments of discomfort for individuals at certain, but in general, I think it is a, a nice conversation. Although we do have one of these norms, right. That's about experience discomfort or whatnot. Right. Of course. Experience discomfort. And is anyone doing that? Like, is it that? Yeah. I, so, okay. I just, that's just something I, I think might be worth as you get into intention. I think it might be worth raising this idea. It's like our intention to kind of get together, feel good, make each other feel good and have a social connection or is our intention to go to places that will be uncomfortable and be our zone of proximal development. And if, you know, if not, what are we doing? Yep. And I think that would be good to I would be curious to hear uh, how this goes. Well, we'll see. Yep. All right. Well, I'm going to be talking before we meet again. So I will have something to bring back on that. Um, okay. All right. So what about you? You Are you setting any yeah, intention? What about me? Yeah. 
I think I'll, there's two things. One is we're still deep in this kind of power shared leadership space. And I feel like there's progress both personally and collectively, but it's not done. And so I just want to, I don't want to rest on that. I don't want, I want to be really continuing to explore, especially my, um, how I show up in those spaces. So that's still live for me. I think the other thing is, you know, uh, in the school committee stuff, there are discussions going on that have started to get deeper into basically, I think, anti-racism or whether there will be steps taken that are anti-racist. And I, I, what's coming up for me is like really being careful not to be like, oh, I'm woke, you're not, that type of dynamic. I, I think that's, that seems important to pay attention to. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what that'll mean, but I want to hold that. I mean, I imagine that goes back to listening and genuinely questioning rather than declaring, right? It's like in yeah. those in moments where you feel like, uh, there's what someone said is not productive or we're not pushing ourselves. It's not so much yeah. you making the statement of this is what we should do, but being a person who can pause the conversation and saying, let's think about this more deeply and, and dig into the collective commitment of the group or something, you know, because yeah. you may not have the answer as much as you think you do. Yeah. Right. Right. I, yeah. So being open to all that, this was, this was good. I'm, I feel like this, we touched a lot of things. I, I leave this meeting both with some new understandings and some thoughts about different areas of my life and a lot of curiosity about what we're both going to do and how it's going to go. Me too. All right. Well, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yeah. Have a good week off. Oh, I will. Uh, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enjoy a little time to myself and a time with the family. And I look forward to the next time we talk. Have a good day. Good rest of the weekend. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to the 3 to 10 Project. You can find all episodes on our website and through a number of streaming apps, including Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Breaker, and Pocket Cast. The Ruth King book we referenced is entitled Mindful of Race, Transforming Racism from the Inside Out. Do you have a question that you want us to wrestle with? Any feedback for us? We'd love to hear from you. You can email Reed directly at reeddyer1, that's the numeral one, at gmail.com. And thanks as always to Random Chiz for our season two theme music. Music.